Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Cameron Rogers, voice and face behind the Freckled Foodie and Friends podcast. Cameron is a content creator who values authenticity and being the truest version of herself to her community. Prior to starting Freckled Foodie, Cameron worked on Wall Street for five years. We talked to her about this transition into having your own business, as well as her take on influencer marketing. Cameron, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm happy to be here. I love being on the other side of podcasts. It's so much more relaxing. <laughs> We're really excited to have you on. For our listeners, can you introduce yourself and tell us you know, where you come from? Yeah, I am Cameron Rogers. I'm the voice behind Freckled Foodie. I'm a content creator in the lifestyle, I guess you could call it, space. I am currently in New York City. I've been here for about 10 years. Actually, yeah, this month is 10 years. And before that, I grew up in New Jersey. So I say I'm from Jersey, even though I technically now have lived in New York for a while. It's a long time. So you transitioned, you know, from a role in finance, working in finance to now starting your own business, own brand. Can you take us through that journey and, and what that transition has been like? Definitely. I worked at JP in sales and trading for five years right out of school. And I decided, well, while I was there, I was dealing with some digestive health issues and my doctors were putting me on these elimination diets. And at the same time, I was so overwhelmed by my credit card because it was just all like really expensive lunch and dinners in the city. And I felt like I was just spending so much money on food. So I actually started that was really the first time I got interested in cooking. I grew up in a house where food played a large role in our lives, but one of three girls who all played competitive sports, we were just on the road from practice to practice after school every single day and all weekend at tournaments. So we weren't someone, we weren't a family that like cooked this big elaborate meal together and sat down for family dinner every night. And so for me, I always loved food, but I was never cooking. And it wasn't until moving into the city and living in my own apartment and not at home or in school, living off of a meal plan that I started to cook and explore in the kitchen. And I found that it was this creative outlet that I didn't have when it came to the mathematical financial side of my brain that was being stimulated at work in sales and trading. And once I started to play around with food, get more comfortable in the kitchen, gain some confidence and simultaneously heal a lot of what was happening in my body. I was sharing all of these things with my friends and it kind of hit this point where I was like, this must be so annoying for them that I'm just constantly sending them this stuff. What if I started an Instagram? I mean, it was right around when the like food porn accounts were starting in New York City. And that wasn't what my account was, although I was sharing some restaurant stuff, but mine was more focused on meal prep and recipes and learning how to cook and exploring in the kitchen. And I started the account on the side as a complete side hobby and like was honestly pretty embarrassed by it, didn't tell anyone. Eventually I told my friends and family and work knew about it, but I kept my face off of the platform because I was young in a very 
intense and well-respected job. And I was covering a lot of large clients and I didn't want them to think that I wasn't taking my job seriously. So I kept it really like church and state separate. You would have never known who was behind this account, Freckled Foodie. And then I just felt like there were so many opportunities that I wanted to pursue when it came to my account and so much fun. There were so many fun things that I could have done. And it felt like every door that I opened, there were 10 more behind it, but I didn't have any extra time to open any of them. And I was really afraid of the idea. I Honestly, I didn't even really think about how I could do it full-time because I wasn't making any money off of the account. I had this incredible career. I was making great money, the golden handcuffs of finance. It's really hard to walk away from. My job was like this badge of honor. It was really great for my ego as much as I hate admitting that. And it wasn't until I had a pretty life-altering moment. I was actually hit by a car four years ago now while I was crossing the street and I suffered from a bad concussion and I was on disability for two months. And during that time, it was just like, why not take this chance? There's so much privilege that goes into this. And I always really want to make that very clear. Not everyone can just walk away from a corporate and you know, a corporate job with a lot of stability. You know, you can't just tell everyone to follow your dreams and it'll work out. That's kind of a load of bullshit. I think we're sold, but there's a lot of privilege that goes into being able to make this decision. And I was fortunately in a place where I was able to, and I went back to work after disability and put in my two weeks notice and took this massive leap of faith with the understanding that I'll never have this little amount of responsibility ever again. I will never be that young again. There's always, for me, there was always a chance to go back into the corporate world. And I had the financial privilege of a support system that I had A, built up from saving a lot of my income that I was making, but B, I come from a financially privileged background and I knew I had that support if need be, a safety net, which not everyone has. So I made that decision in 2018 and I gave myself kind of six months and I don't know what I thought was going to happen in six months, but I was like reassessed in six months. And if it's not what you want to do, go back, you know, you'll find another job. I left on really good terms with a lot of people in the industry and it has completely ebbed and flowed since then. Once I left, I started sharing more about my mental health struggles and I started talking to my stories and really connecting with my community and building a really incredible community that's grown in ways I could have never imagined. And my platform has absolutely taken a lot of twists and turns since then. Primarily now it's focused on lifestyle, specifically mental health and motherhood as I'm a first-time mom to an 11-month-old as we're recording this. So yeah, I mean, it's been a wild freaking ride, but that's kind of what it looked like in that specific time period. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I mean, we've seen backlash in the influencer, you know, quote unquote influencer space of influencers like transitioning their platforms from one thing to another and how, you know, the their quote unquote audience has perceived that. And I think your transition, you know, going from your list, your viewers, not knowing who's behind your food account to now, if people tune into freckled foodie, like you have very little food, quote unquote, yep. on your account. It's, it's very different. Was that transition because you left the job in finance or was that transition like you really connecting with the influencer space and the social media space or what your listeners like wanted? 
No, it was not because I left finance because it stayed primarily food for, I think the first, I've been doing it now full-time for four years. So I think it stayed primarily food for the first three years, honestly. When I left JP financially, I was making an income off of meal prepping for individuals. So I was literally going into people's homes, cooking their meals for them, prepping all of their meals for the week. They'd come home to a stocked fridge. And like, that's where I was actually making money. I wasn't making money off of my Instagram. And I was documenting kind of all of that and using these opportunities as ways to document meal prep and easy ways to cook for the week and all of that. And I was doing that and I was health coaching and I was doing kitchen audits and grocery store walkthroughs. So it was really focused on food for a while. About a year into that, I noticed that that didn't necessarily light me up. I really enjoyed the content creation aspect, the building of a community, the engaging with a community more than the client facing aspect of like meal prepping. So I took another kind of reconfiguration of the business, another leap of faith and was like, all right, we're going to focus fully on content creation and try and get some sponsors. And I mean, I was not making like a sustainable living income in the beginning. It's now when I look back, it's wild to me, but I, again, had the privilege to be able to do this. I also was just now at this point, newly married to my husband. So I wasn't on my own in a sense. He was also making, he had a stable income, which is another safety net in a sense. So it was definitely primarily food focused. What actually switched and made, I think the most of the transition was A, when I was talking about my mental health struggles, whether it be anxiety or you know the struggles of pregnancy that I faced Once I started speaking about those things, I was getting these really incredible messages of people connecting with my story, making them feel less alone, inspiring some small change, whether it be meditation, seeing a therapist, going on medication. And that to me meant so much more than someone saying they made my recipe. And that's not a statement that everyone's going to align themselves with. There are a lot of content creators solely focused on food who feel very proud of their reach and they feel like they are making a change. And I fully agree with them. They are, but it didn't light me up as much as the messages focused on the lifestyle changes people were saying they were making. And so I think that was a big change for me. And then also your life changes. Like we evolve as a human, like no one ever will stay the same. And so the concept that someone's content is always going to stay the same is so outdated in my opinion. And when you think about influencers, you're following these people because you're interested in their life. You know, it's still uncomfortable for me to admit when I think about that because as myself as an influencer, but that's the reality if I look at who I follow and people's lives are going to change. And so, yes, my content transitioned a ton. Now it talks a lot about motherhood. And yes, I'm sure I lost a lot of people along the way. There are some people who only wanted food content. That's fine. There are plenty of other influencers out there that they can follow for just food content. But I was very steadfast on my content will depict my current interests, my life and where I'm at now. And my community will ebb and flow with that. I'll lose people, I'll gain people, but I don't ever want to personally put out content that doesn't interest me, that doesn't light me up, that doesn't speak to my current state of mind because 
my page is really, it's me. Like, and that's why it hurts sometimes so much when I get trolls, because it's not like they're attacking some persona or a recipe or something. They're literally attacking me as a human. But at the same time, I think that's why I've cultivated this really incredible community because it is like, what you see is what you get. Yeah, no, totally. You touched on this a little bit and I would like to, you know, dig a little bit deeper into, so part of when you you know, transitioned and, and have been building freckled foodie. Part of that is, you know, gaining sponsors. And I know that you do work with consumer brands as well. And, you know, what we're seeing a lot in the consumer space now is all around content creation and brands being built upon the influencers that they have showing their product being eaten or used or whatever, whether it be skincare, whether it be a snack, And that's driving a ton of growth in these either smaller consumer brands, midsize, larger consumer brands. People want to be doing the same things that influencers are doing. Where do you see this going? And how do you see like brands slash influencers playing a role in the growth of consumer brands? It's really wild when I think about... It really is. Like even to watch... I'm on both sides, right? I'm a creator but I'm also a consumer of social media. And a lot of my friends are consumers. I also have friends who are creators, but it's so interesting to observe. If I take my mom, for instance, she is a big consumer of social media. She is the person that if you, if any of her favorite people she follows talk about a product, she's buying it. Like she is the number one, like ideal consumer for brands because she is taking the pitch and biting right away. She is all over it. Now, for me, it's really interesting as a creator because I forget that people are so interested in influencers' lives or every little thing that they're picking up on. I will have something in the background of a video once. And the amount of people that will pick up on a small thing and ask, where is that from? That's exactly what I'm looking for. I want that. What's the link? Blows my mind absolutely blows my mind. And it's really insane to look at the back end of things of actually how much influence you can have. And I'll use this one as an example, but like one time I do a Q and a boxes, I ask like, okay, ask me anything or what links do you guys want that I've like been wearing or whatever. People are always asking for a vibrator link, right? Like, I don't know what it is, but evidently I've got a hoarding community. I'm here for So one time someone asked for a vibrator link. And I said, like, this is the best vibrator out there. All of my friends use it. We swear by it. Here you go. The amount, the conversion on it was freaking insane. And still I will get DMs at least once a week or every single time I do a question box being like, Hey, sorry, do you mind sharing that link again? I was telling my friend, like, it's really crazy. The influence you can have, whether it's a absolutely like set in stone. I'm working with a brand. This is a little premeditated. Here's the link or not working with a brand, but here's the link of something I love or just something in the background of a video that you're not even paying attention to that somehow gets picked up on by everyone else. And obviously conversion looks different for every single influencer, but I do think that the more you are yourself on your platform, the more you cultivate a community, the more people think of you as a friend your conversion in a business sense when working with brands is going to be higher because you've created this trust 
with your community. So I am very adamant on the brands I work with. I'm very picky. I'm very specific. Sometimes I think my management hates me, but I am like, will not work with a brand unless they meet an extensive list of criteria. And I think in that sense, in doing those practices, I've gained a lot of trust by my community, which is amazing. And I think that that shows up when we're going back to the brand and they're looking at the analytics. Where this is all going in the future, honestly, I do not know. And that's the crazy thing about this space, specifically social media and influencing. You can't predict any of it. Like two years ago, we didn't even, most of us didn't know what TikTok was, right? Like COVID lockdown was just starting and we were just being introduced to TikTok. And now look at what it's created. It's insane. I do think that influencer marketing, whether people like it or not, is the future when it comes to brands getting their products in front of people and getting eyes on it. Because if you think about it from a very simple stance of if you're driving down the street or walking down the street and you see a poster on like one of the walls in the city or a billboard on the highway, sure, that's an ad. Yes, you see it, whatever. But that company has no concept. Yes, they do geographically fine, but like it could be me, someone who is interested in wellness, or it could be an 80-year-old man who has no idea what a vibrator is walking by this sign. So the fact that influencer marketing is able to, from a brand's perspective, so selectively target an audience is why I think it's the future because it's just going to get more niche and more specific as we continue to grow, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, I want to touch on your criteria because we haven't had like, I'll put you in the creator, influencer, content creator space. We haven't had someone in, in your bucket on the podcast before. And I think it's a really interesting angle on the consumer health and wellness space and your involvement with brands particular. You know, we, we talk to a lot of consumer brands that are searching for the quote unquote right influencer or right person to embody their brand. And I think it goes both ways. So brands search for the right person to embody their brand the same way influencers, in your case, are very particular about, you know, the brands that they work on. And some influencers don't care who they work with. And some like yourself, you know, has a strong criteria, which I truly like believe in and agree with. Can you talk about like some of the brands that you work closely with and like how you work with them and what that criteria kind of looks like? Yeah. So from the beginning, I can say what my criteria looks like. A, like the dream is that it's a brand I know, I love, I've been buying for years and I've already been talking about, right? That's the dream partnership. Someone that I've organically been sharing about for a very long time. So if I look at some of the people I've partnered with, examples of that are from a CPG standpoint, a company like Mush. I talked about Mush from the very beginning. I loved them. I ate them all of the time. So when I finally did a sponsorship with Mush, it was completely organic. It felt so natural. It was very well received by my community. And it really was a perk for them because now they're getting a discount code or some type of deal. So that's the best type of received content by a follower, in my opinion, if it's a brand that the influencer has naturally been speaking about for a very long time. If I look from a larger scale partner that I'm working with right now in New York Presbyterian Hospital. Very niche, of course, specific to New York, specific to really anyone could be a patient of New York 
Presbyterian, but it's not who you're typically thinking influencers are marketing or collaborating with. And for me, it's also such an organic fit because I was born at New York Presbyterian. I gave birth at New York Presbyterian to my son. I have seen every doctor under the, like my general practitioner, my neurologist, my gynecologist, now my GIs. Like for me, that's so simple and such an organic storyline to tell. And that's like the number one criteria I look for. Is this a brand I already know and love? Have I been using them for a while? If it's a new brand... I need a grace period to try the brand, to try and integrate it into my life. There are many brands out there that I think are awesome, but I just, they don't fit in my lifestyle. You know, think about it from a New York City apartment standpoint. I've been reached out to by a lot of fitness companies that have these like, you know, whether it be a rowing machine or all of those types of things. I think those brands and those products are incredible, but that's not going to fit in my life. I live in a New York city apartment. That's not realistic. And so for me, that would be so not true to myself, not organic, not fitting to my style of content. So if it's a new brand, I need a grace period to absolutely try it with no strings attached. The brand is usually sending it to me, whether it's clothing, food products, whatever it might be. And it, a lot of times I say no after that. You know, if I don't like the product, it's a definite no. If I like the product, but I'm just not using it or it's not a natural integration, it's a no. So if I don't have a pass with it, I try it. If I like it, fine. But then it's also what I spend my money on this product. What's the cost of this? Because I'm not going to tell my community to go spend an exorbitant amount of money on something that they actually do not need. And then I also have to look at the ethos of the company. So who's behind the company? What is the team like? Who else are they partnering with? You know, I, in the past, have had a few letdowns from brands that I feel I didn't do enough due diligence on and then found out some things that I was really disappointed by. And that for me is an immediate cut of the contract because if I'm going to be tying myself to a brand, similarly to how brands feel about tying themselves to influencers, I need to align with their values. And I think that that should be a big focus for creators in today's world because a lot of shit is happening and a lot of people seem to not care about certain things. Yeah. And how do you see like you as like a brand, Freckled Foodie, in your future working more with brands or less with brands? Like, do you see yourself wanting to do more partnerships or integrate, you know, sponsorships more into Freckled Foodie? Or how do you see kind of that relationship moving forward? So for me, brand partnerships are what pays majority of my income. So yes, they are very important to me. In my dream world, I would have fewer partners for like larger scale partners partnerships, but a fewer amount of them. I really like to diversify my portfolio, honestly. So if I look at it, like I'll have a food company, like a mush, for example, I'll work with someone in healthcare, like a New York Presbyterian. I'll work with someone in clothing, whether it be athleisure, like a Nike or fashion, like an Everlane. I'll work with someone in more of a supplement space, like a athletic greens, AG1 or a seed. So I'm not trying to sell because I am selling as much as I hate that. I'm not trying to sell the same thing over and over again. I like to have a diversified portfolio of brands, which interestingly enough, I think is possible going back to what we were speaking about because I have a diverse 
array of content out there. You know, my TikTok talks a lot about food and my Instagram sometimes incorporates it, but not a ton, but I talk a ton about lifestyle. That then brings in so many factors of brands. For my future, that's what I think, yes, brand collaborations will always be a part of it. I'm not personally interested in creating my own product under the freckled foodie brand. However, I would be definitely interested in collaborating with brands on a limited edition or a freckled foodie times whatever XYZ brand on a specific flavor or clothing product or something like that. That really interests me. And I do think that that's a big part of influencer marketing CPG that will happen in the future, because I think that's giving it this even extra layer of this influencer's stamp of approval, right? And it's like even more catered to their community. Yeah, we've seen that a couple of times, like the brand validation almost. It's like, I listen, I'm a follower of Cameron at Freckled Foodie. And now she has created a special edition flavor of mush. Oh my God, I need to get my hands on that immediately. Like it was me in the kitchen, let's get on that. So to that point, if you could pick any brand or company, food or clothing or supplement to do a special edition freckled foodie collab, what would it be? Well, I told you this when we met and I've, I've said this to Mush, so they're very aware. I would love to do a Mush collaboration. I think that would be a dream and very fitting just from the evolution of my brand. And I absolutely freaking love the team behind that company. I mean, I'm partnered that this I don't see happening nearly as feasibly. I'm partnering with Nike, and that's a brand that my entire life has been surrounded around as a athlete forever. So I mean, that would be the dream. Like I will have freaking made it. Tap me out. I just don't see that as feasible. But then also, you know, I partner with some brands in the like parenting motherhood space and Baby food has been something that's so interesting to me lately as I've been feeding my child. And we do primarily baby led weaning, but I also use pouches of sorts for snacks or meals on the go or whatever it might be, just sneaking in vegetables. So a brand like Cerebelli, who I've worked with, that would also be a really interesting route that's so different because that's a completely different demographic. That's really targeting only parents. Yeah. What would be your mush flavor? Well, I can't give it away. I'll tell you offline. Okay, okay. I've already thought about it. And I'm actually shocked they don't have it. Fair enough. They're coming out with a new flavor. You're just chatting with Ashley. She gave us a little hint. I'm pretty excited about it. I want to move into our favorite part of the podcast, which is our rapid fire. So I'm going to throw some questions your way and just hit me with, you know, whatever comes to mind. Guilty pleasure. All right. So funny you asked this. I literally was just talking about this. I do not believe in guilty pleasures because I do not feel guilty about anything I do. Like if I'm doing something consciously, I I do not feel guilty about it. I feel guilty if I like say something or do something and it hurts someone and I didn't mean to. But if I'm doing something consciously, I feel no guilt. I appreciate that. I like that answer. Favorite New York City spot? Well, it's no longer bar sardine was my husband's and my, like we went every single Friday. We have had so many dates there and they actually, we went their last final night was my 30th birthday. So it was a big, Oh wow! it was like such a life weird moment that that happened, but they've since brought the burger over to Fairfax. So honestly, it would probably be Fairfax. I, I spend a lot of time there. 
Fair enough. Dream podcast guest on your, like yeah. you were to yeah, have. Yeah, mine, Dak Shepard. Why? I am a big armchairy, his show, Armchair Expert. I'm a huge fan. I have gone great lengths to try and get him on the show to the point of creating an Excel spreadsheet shared that all of the faculty community filled out of why he should come on the show. And I have his like co-host's email and sent it to them. So I've in, been in communication with them. It's just not happening yet, but he would be my dream guest. I, I find guest. him fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite food? Ice cream. What kind? What flavor? Oh gosh. It's like Sophie's choice. I'm very particular about my ice cream. I will say right now, the flavor that has a hold over me is the Van Leeuwen Walmart collaboration hot honey. I never thought that this would be something I love so much. It's a vanilla ice cream with little pockets of hot honey, but they're like crystallized. So it's a little crunch. And I, they sent me all like their new Walmart flavors and I polished it within like two nights. And so they sent me eight more pints of it and I'm utterly obsessed with it. So right now that's a favorite of mine. Otherwise, I mean, I love Van Leeuwen a lot. I'm a big, also Hoffman's, if anyone's listening from the Jersey Shore, that's my favorite spot there. Coffee Oreo can do no wrong. I also love Jenny's. I don't really discriminate. The only flavors I do not like are like a birthday cake, not for me, or Cherry Garcia. Are you a non-dairy or you're full dairy? No, I'm full dairy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We like to ask all of our guests how they subscribe to wellness. So what are some things that you do on a daily basis to be the best version of yourself, to be able to show up for your community, as well as show up for your new little one, as well as your husband? I meditate every morning. That's a big, big part of my mental health journey. I've been doing that for four years now and I've missed maybe like a handful of days. I'm very serious about that. It's a big priority. I also really try to set boundaries. I think boundaries are really important and I'm not great at them, but I'm trying to continue to set them. I love to move my body. Exercise is a large part of my wellness journey and it looks different for everyone. Right now, mine is primarily 20-ish minutes of like a Matt Pilates class while my son is like crawling around at my feet and walking. That's what I'm very into right now. And then spending time with people in person. Like I don't think that that is a high enough priority anymore because of social media, technology, you know, we're all busy, but I'm a big quality time gal. That is one of my love languages. And I, that's a huge part of my wellness journey. I appreciate you saying that because of social media and not just because of COVID, because I think now because of COVID people use the not in person thing as an excuse for not being in person with people, as opposed to, I think it is mainly not because of COVID now, because that's not really like, I mean, yes, we're still dealing with the, with COVID in some respects, but people use COVID instead of using social media, because it seems like more correct to say, whereas social media, I think is taking over a lot of our, you know, lives in ways that we hate to admit. 
I mean, even if you think about like spending time, even when you're in person with people, sometimes you'll look around and everyone's on their phone, like scrolling TikTok. So that's not a COVID thing. That's a social media thing. We had the light phone guys on the podcast. And I think what they're doing is fascinating. And they talked to us about how we as humans can't like stay or wait in line anymore at places without having like severe anxiety. If we're not like holding or looking at our phones, God forbid, we just like are looking at the back of the neck of the person in front of us. Like, no, we can't. We don't know how to be bored. Yeah, it's crazy. So where can our listeners find you and listen to you? So my main platform is Instagram at Freckled Foodie. It's the same on TikTok. My podcast is Freckled Foodie and Friends. And I release new episodes every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Amazing. Cameron, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.